0: If you brought your Bibles this morning, open up to 1 Timothy. If you didn't bring your Bibles, that uh, passage is printed for you on our little slip of paper there. 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 10. And uh, it's a sermon that I titled, Godliness Matters. So we've got this whole matters little thing that I'm desperately trying to make fit through the whole of 1 Timothy. And thus far it's worked. Um, but godliness matters. Now, when I say godliness, what comes to your minds, I wonder? What is that? What sort of emotions does that draw up in you when I say godliness? And even when I would tell you uh, and state godliness matters, might be a wide range of things. Um, I do think in the church today, we've got two pretty big problems as it relates to godliness. Uh, one problem would be for folks for whom godliness isn't even on the radar. Um, it does not in fact matter to some folks. Um, Folks aren't pursuing godliness. They're not displaying godliness. Um, And so that's a a problem. Um, Another problem would be to be unsure or confused or maybe even misled about how to get there. How do we get to... Godliness. We, we might in fact be very concerned about it. It might be on the radar. It might be looming large on our radar. And we're pursuing it. We're seeking to display it. But if we're not seeking it according to the Bible's means and method, we're going to end up in the same place as the other people anyway. Those for whom they're not even concerned about it. Because if we do not pursue godliness on the Bible's terms, we're not going to get there. We're not going to end up displaying it either. Um, And so these are both big problems. Either we're just not concerned about godliness at all, or we're concerned about it, but we're not pursuing it according to how the Bible says it should be pursued and can be pursued and and the only way that it can be arrived at. Um, And so it's this second problem that was at work at the church in Ephesus um, where Timothy is ministering, where Paul has left Timothy to address uh, this different doctrine that the false teachers are teaching that doesn't lead to godliness. If you read the whole of 1 Timothy, you'll see there's a lot of sinful behavior and there's a lot of problems going on Because they're not godly. And so that's what we want to look at this morning in these uh, these few verses. Um, So if you're able, let me ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. May God grant to to our hearts and our minds this morning the same reverence that our physical posture is demonstrating. This is the Word of God. If you put these things before the brothers and sisters you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. May God add his blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the hearing of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together. God, would you come again this morning and would you be our help? Our, our minds and our intellects and our emotions and our wills and our hearts have all been affected by the fall. And so if we're to understand this correctly, we need assistance. We are needy people. But you are a, a generous and a giving God. And so when we confess need and dependence, you rise to the occasion. And we expect you to do that even now, that you'd help us, that you'd help us to see and understand Jesus as he's freely offered in the gospel, that you would help us understand from your scripture, the path to the godliness that you require and that you expect. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. So there are three, uh, three things that I want you to consider categories. They were originally points on the outline. Uh, And I was going to try to preach this thing through those points, but I decided sort of in our uh, makeshift, more casual service this morning, uh, that I would tell you what those three things are so that you could be on the lookout for them, and then I want us to work through the the verses just sort of in order, because without slides, I think it might be a a little bit uh, better if we just go in order and try to look for these three things, first of which is the need. All right, the need for godliness. We, we've got to have godliness, folks. Okay? Uh, then the means for which we come about that godliness. So the need, the means, and the value. Right, what's this godliness going to do for us? Right? So the need, the means, and the value. So keep those three things in mind. And let's just work through these verses in order this morning. And so we'll start with verse 6. There's lots here all right if you put these things before the brothers and sisters and by the way saying brothers and sisters there is not some liberal move okay that's actually the the Greek word there is is plural and it refers to all the siblings in a family all right and so you've probably got it footnoted there that uh, that this does in fact mean brothers and sisters in a family um, but what are these things put these things before the brothers and sisters well, these things could be the whole of what Paul has talked about so far, right? Pretty good. You know, everything that I've mentioned up to this point, keep teaching that to, to the folks there at Ephesus. They need to hear it. Um, and so it could be that. It could just be more recently, uh, even the verses that we looked at last week, uh, dealing with this false teaching, uh, This this false teaching of, uh, of these false teachers as it related to godliness. Because if you were here last week or if you looked at those verses, um, those false teachers were trying to get folks to believe that godliness somehow could come from within. It could come from being really disciplined. It could come even from denying yourself, suppressing your appetites. Right? Uh, and, and so Paul uh, says, no, it, it's not that at all. And, and so keep that before Uh, before the brothers and and the sisters in in the church, that that's not how you're going to get godliness. But in fact, it's going to come by, here in verse 6, by being trained, right? By being trained. And so this is part of what uh, Paul has left Timothy there to do, to be a good servant of the gospel, is to make sure that these folks are trained, to make sure that these folks understand where godliness comes from. And so this gets into a little bit of the means that I was talking about, the means of godliness, all right? So I love this idea, this big idea of training, right? Think in terms of an athlete. There are a couple of different words that Paul uses here in this passage that get translated training, right? One has to do with nourishment, right? Which certainly for an athlete, that's a big deal. You gotta have the right fuel if you want the right results, uh, in, your, in your competing, in, in whatever it is that you're doing as an athlete. And the other word that gets translated training here comes from this Greek word gymnazo. Right? Sound any familiar? Any English words? Maybe we could, yeah. Um, so gymnasium, gymnastics. Um, so we've got a great picture here of, of day by day, disciplined, hard work, and effort right think about uh, it was so much fun watching the olympics this summer think about Simone Biles right how amazing she was right think about the effort the discipline the nourishment that it required but just every day day by day hard work and discipline all right so let me tell you this don't let anybody sell you some brand of christianity some view of the christian life that is devoid of effort. If they're selling it, don't buy it. Godliness matters. And you will not accidentally stumble upon it. It's not just, whoops, (laughs) look at that, I became godly. Would that it were that easy, but it's not. And so the Bible's full of these imperatives the bible's full of things that tell us that without godliness without holiness without righteousness without fruit being born in our lives we won't see the lord we won't make it in the end all right so we're we're not going to accidentally stumble upon godliness But, however, comma, this effort, this training, this discipline must consist of what the Bible says it's all about and not just what our fallen flesh might think that it's all about. Pay close attention to what the training is in. Prepositions matter. This verse six, being trained in behavior modification and asceticism. No. Being trained in hunkering down and gritting your teeth. Being trained in how to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, no, and no. Being trained in the words of the faith. Being trained in in the good doctrine that you have followed. The training is in the gospel. That's where the training is. And I love that Paul's using this training language because it's, Over and over and over. If you've known anybody who's ever trained for something, right, you don't just go out and do it once and you say, Oh, I'm ready, right? Do you think that Simone Biles did the vault once and then said, All right, I'm ready to go? Or do you think that she did that vault a thousand times in preparation for the Olympics? So we don't we don't get the gospel and we're saved, and then we move on to other things. Our training is, is in the gospel, and it's, it's training, right? It's gymnazo. It's in the gym over and over and over and over and over and over again. We don't ever graduate from it or advance beyond it. Right? So if, if we want to grow in godliness, if we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, if we want to bear the fruits of righteousness, if we want to have the holiness that scripture says we've got to have or we won't see the Lord, then we've got to train in the words of the faith, in the doctrine that we've, we've got to train in the gospel. And so the $64,000 question is how? How would one go about doing that? Let me suggest that we follow the example that Paul has already given to this church in Ephesus. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus before he wrote this letter to 1 Timothy. So think about even what he does in that letter to the Ephesians. If you know that letter well, think about chapter 1 of Ephesians. It is this glorious, amazing treatise and an exposition of, of what God did in all of his sovereignty and love and power and might, how before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. All right? So it starts there, right? How would you be trained in the gospel over and over and over again? Well, you would go over the contents of the gospel like Ephesians 1 that leads into Ephesians 2 that continues and talks about how we were dead, how we were dead rebel enemies. But God showed up in our deadness and in our rebellion and in our state of enmity And he gave us even the faith that we need to believe. To place our trust in his son, our substitute, our sinless savior. Right? How would we be trained in the gospel? We would go over these truths again and again and again and again, just like an athlete, over and over and over. And we would continue on in Ephesians 2. Think about... The the greatest commandment, right? Jesus' approach, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers with two. Love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. So there's loving God, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. So there's loving people, right? So if we were to be godly, we would be loving God and we would be loving people. So Ephesians 2 continues, right? And teaches that in the gospel, this dividing wall of hostility has been brought down. There used to be a wall of hostility separating us and God, separating us and each other. The gospel has torn that down. The gospel has torn that down and given us the provision to do what is required to love God and to love people. So, how are we trained in, in the gospel? How do we arrive at godliness? Well, we go over gospel truths over and over and over and over and over again. We, we stew in them. We marinate in them. Right? Think about Ephesians 3. I love, and I use as a model, Paul's prayers for others. Right? What is Paul praying when he prays for other people? Right? It's not very often healing, relief from sickness, Right? That's not the bread and butter of his prayers for other people. The bread and butter of his prayers for other people are what you find in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. So this is what I'm very often praying for other people. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's what he's praying for other people because he knows that's their biggest need. Because he knows that if they get a glimpse And a grip on how deeply they've been loved in the gospel. That is life changing. To be loved that deeply. That undeservedly. That sacrificially. That unconditionally. Is revolutionary. It changes everything about you. So what would it look like to be trained in the gospel to arrive at godliness through the Bible's means? It would be to to repeat over and over and over again these glorious truths of the gospel. What's been done for you in and through the gospel by the power of Christ. And that's what then would bring you, if you want to continue on in Ephesians, that's what would then bring you to Ephesians 4. Where Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received with all humility and gentleness and patience and grace. See, see, there's the hinge in Ephesians of where the behavior kicks in, of where godliness is on display. It's because you've stewed and soaked in the gospel truths. It's because you've, you've experienced and you've tasted this deep, wide, high love of Jesus that you're changed from the inside out, right? There's, there's the power. There's the power, uh, Ephesians 1 19 and 20 talks about the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So, resurrection power, that's what's going to be coursing through your veins, changing you from the inside out. So, our effort then, our training, our discipline, is not towards behavior modification, right? It's not, as that prayer of confession that we prayed was trying to get to, it's not on trying to reform ourselves. It's not about bringing whatever sin that we're struggling with under submission by sheer willpower. But change is going to come through the gospel, through training in it, going over it again and again and again. Verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, Train yourself for godliness. All right, so these two are now set at, set at odds with one another. Right? And so these silly myths, I think he's just easily referring back to what he was talking about in, in this last passage from last week about abstaining from marriage and abstaining from certain types of foods and thinking that godliness could somehow come from within. Because it can. Right? Have nothing to do with those. And I love that Paul calls them irreverent. It's an interesting adjective to use there. Irreverent. Think of what is something that's irreverent. It's something that's robbing glory from God. It's something that's taking glory that rightfully belongs to Him and putting it somewhere else. How true of these silly myths. How true of the silly notion of thinking that we could somehow do it, that we could somehow change ourselves. When only God can. That's his glory. That's his work. Don't you dare rob him of that glory. By looking to some of these silly myths. Verse 8. Bodily training is of some value, right? So he knows he's been using gym language, right? And so if if we train the physical body, right? That's a good thing, right? Health, strength, strength. Wellness, well being, reduces your stress level, right? I could go on and on. Remember, I teach you the why. All right, so it's of some value, right? But training in godliness is of value in every way. It has value now and in the life to come. All right, so think in terms of, of now first. Of, this godliness that's required, this fruit bearing, this being conformed to the image of Christ, right? That's evidence. When it is on display in your life, it is, it is evidence. It's evidence that you have, in fact, been born again, right? Uh, that we've been changed on the inside that is now making its way to the outside. And it's showing up in our daily living. It's showing up in our attitudes and uh, in the way that we behave and, and carry ourselves and handle our business deeds, and all of these things, how we raise our children, how we treat our wives. And so as that evidence shows up, we then have assurance. That's how godliness benefits us now, is that we have assurance that, hey, I do in fact belong to him. (laughs) This gospel thing, it's really working. I really am being changed from the inside out. And that brings us a great assurance that we in fact need every day. We need that assurance every single day, right? So there's daily value, but there's also value for the life to come. And I want you to think practically about this. Think especially in terms of folks who think that they might have some fire insurance policy because of some belief in Christ, right? Well, I I prayed this prayer at this gathering at some point in time. Uh, And I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, right? And so I'm good now, right? My life doesn't look any different from when I prayed that prayer 30-whatever years ago, but I'm good now. I'm safe, right? right, So we would believe from Scripture that that if your life doesn't change, right, then nothing really went on back then. We talked about this some last week, I think. Um, Something else may have happened, right? Some intellectual decision, some emotional experience perhaps. But but if your life has not, in fact, been changed and transformed, because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? The old has gone, the new has come, right? So... So you can't really have fire insurance anyway. It's not a real thing in in terms of Christianity. But even if it were, even if it were, think about how poorly prepared you would be for eternity. When you stand in Jesus' presence, when you're gathered around the throne with the other saints, when you are in the presence of holiness and righteousness, Think how miserable and out of place you would be. How ill prepared you would be then if you were not now already in the process of being conformed to that reality. Because that will be reality for eternity. In the presence of holiness and splendor and righteousness. Right? And part of our growth in godliness is preparing us for that. So that we won't be a fish out of water, basically. Right? What we have now as fruit is being born in our lives by the gospel is a foretaste of what's to come. The growth in godliness and holiness now is preparing us for glory. It'll be completed at glory. We're just in process right now but we're being prepared. We're tasting a little bit of it now to be prepared for when we get the the full thing then, though now we see it only very dimly. It's a value today. It's a value for the life to come. Now let's finish with verses 9 and 10. Saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Paul has used that before in this letter. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe, right? So let's get that last part out of the way. Let's deal with that because that's not the main thing, right? This, he's the Savior of all people, especially those to believe. All right, so we've already seen this once in this letter. We've already addressed this in, in chapter 2, right? This is not universalism, right? Because the rest of Scripture clearly takes that off the list of being an option. So something else is at work here. And so like we talked about in chapter 2, part of what this is is just the character of God. God is a God who saves. He's God, our Savior, and he delights in saving people. It brings him great pleasure to save. But he will always and only save through faith in his son. Right? So He's the Savior of all. He's a God who saves. Namely, in other words, i.e., those who believe. Right? See, what, what the false teachers were actually doing in Ephesus was being very restrictive with who's going to be saved. Right? They were restricting and narrowing it down and saying, you've got to suppress your appetites. <clears throat> You've got to display some, some power and some fortitude from within if you're going to be the real deal, if you're going to really, if you're going to cut it. So they were restricting it. And Paul is blowing those restrictions away and saying, no, it's, it's for all people, especially those who believe in the Sun. Right? So it's not universalism. Now, let's get to the, the real meat of verse 10 Here All right, we've got it again this effort, this discipline, toil and strive. See, the Bible is full of imperatives, you can't get around them. The Christian life is full of effort, but we've got to put that effort and that training in the right place, right. So that's basking in and soaking up and soaking in the gospel and this repetition over and over and over again. So it's got to be in the right place. But we've also got to use the right fuel for that training. Our effort has to be fueled by the right thing. And so notice this clearly. We toil and strive because of the hope we have and not the other way around. We don't have hope because we toil and strive. No. We strive because we already have hope. Get this reversed and you lose the gospel. Get this reversed and you lose Christianity and you become like every other world religion out there where your hope and your assurance come from what you do. Christianity is the only religion. The gospel is the only solution where our assurance and our hope comes from what has been done already. Finished, finished. And completed in the work of Christ. There's nothing that we can add to it. There's nothing, in fact, that we can take away from it. Because if you go back to Ephesians 1, right? The very beginnings of this gospel. that, That before the foundations of the world, we were chosen in him. He marked us out. He called us. Can we then screw that up? We strive... And we toil because we have hope. All right, so we need godliness. We've got to have it. If we've been born again, we will have it. God's going to, to bear it in our lives, but He's going to do it through His means, He's going to do it through the gospel. He's going to, therefore, do it in and through the church. All right? Where do we have the means of, of the gospel? Where do we have the means of God's grace? We have preaching of the word. We have the sacraments. We have prayer. These ordinary means of God's grace that he's ordained, whereby we're changed. Whereby we're trained whereby we put forth our effort in the gospel and over and over and over, soaking in, repeating. And it has great value. Great, great.